magic Barbie in your gown twirling around. She's changing to a ballerina. Magic Barbie doll and change your own dress and lips that change color with warm or cold water. Ken doll sold separately from Mattel. Introducing the fabulous and magical When We Were Young, the podcast that you've been dreaming for. When We Were Young comes with two outfits. Her business casual suit for the office transforms into a beautiful ball gown to go out on the town at night. Record a podcast with When We Were Young and her three friends, Becky, Chris, and Seth, doll sold separately, in their hot pink recording studio and brush their long, luxurious hair with a special When We Were Young comb, part sold separately. When we were young, you bring the past to life. I'm Becky, and I'm truly outrageous. Truly, truly, truly outrageous. I am Seth, the host most likely to have batteries not included. <laughs> and I'm Chris, the most glamorous rock star ever. And also Jerrica, the president of Starlight Music. But only his friends, the holograms, Becky and Seth, know that Jerrica is also Chris. It's truly outrageous. Honestly, I've been meaning to bring it up to you for some time now, because it is truly outrageous. Oh, we're going to lose our minds this episode. Okay. <laughs> In today's episode, we are exploring the very pink and very limited world of toys marketed to girls in the 1980s and 90s. This, of course, includes Barbie, which has its first live action iteration on the big screen this summer with Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling as Ken. But it also includes a pre-Hannah Montana-esque gem, Cabbage Patch Kids, and My Little Pony, in addition to many, many more dolls and animals and not much else. It's Showtime Synergy. Jumping back into the DeLorean a Saturday morning Cause we both be cynical or radical But was it good cause we were young? Was it good cause we were dumb? Do we think it certainly sucked? Now we're cheated and all grown up and there was so much that we loved Do we think it'll make the cut? Will it be a person or will it be fun? A decades later will it still hold up? And this is when we were young When we were young In our last episode, we reflected on toys marketed towards boys in the 80s and 90s, which included action figures, robots, cars, Building blocks, water guns, and other playthings focused on physical violence and engineering. In the 1980s, as you may recall, Reagan relaxed regulation on cross-referencing between televised programming for kids and commercials, which led to so many toy-based shows. With few notable exceptions, these toys came first with the series that spawned, created just to sell more toys. You don't say. <laughs> Yeah, but this is not something that is only limited to the 80s and 90s. If there's a children's TV show on television today, there's a toy line, no doubt, featuring characters from the show, not to mention clothing, accessories, you name it. As a mother of a four-year-old, I can literally get her any character from any show she watches. There's stuffed animals, there's action figures, there's nightgowns, there's dresses. It's literally endless. So before we get started, I would like to know, did you guys ever play with so-called girls' toys growing up? No, never. <laughs> Very masculine voice there, Chris. <laughs> well, I had a little sister who was two and a half years younger than I was. So <laughs> maybe I used her as an excuse to play with some of these toys sometimes. 
Like I was saying in the boys' toys episode, the toys I gravitated toward more were the ones that I could play out a narrative with. So action figures, you know, I could create stories with them and and have them, you know, move and talk how I wanted them to. Obviously, that is something that a lot of girls also do with dolls. And in fact, boys can also do those with (laughs) dolls. Although in the 80s, at least, they were not encouraged to. So I didn't play with a ton of these toys, but my sister owned, you know, as many toys as I did. And so when I played with my sister, I would often kind of act as if I was doing her a favor by playing with Barbies. But really, it was kind of, you know, a way for me to just play with a different kind of toy and and see if I liked it. And I'll get into like more specific feelings about it. But I, I was conflicted because I knew that these toys were not for me. Like the marketing made it very clear who these toys were for. And it was for girls. It was not for boys. Well, I thought about this, you know, before we sat down to record and I thought more about it just now. And I don't really think I did ever play with girls toys. Now, you know, of course, as I've said before on the podcast, I'm an only child. So I didn't have a little little sister as a built-in audience or... Excuse. Right. Or excuse. (laughs) I didn't have that pass. Well, you avoided stepping on a lot of Polly Pockets, which I did when I was a kid. (laughs) Ooh. Yeah, no, I remember friends Polly Pockets. That's a whole other tiny genre of annoyance. You know, I know that at many points I encountered the xenomorphs and Barbies of my friends. Is there I'll, a xenomorph Barbie? I wish. I wish there was a Ripley Barbie. Come on. No, I, I had a lot of friends who were girls growing up. A lot of my closest friends have always been girls. And, you know, they all had tons of Barbies and I would see them and I would not really be super interested in playing with them. And I hate to generalize, but to me, a lot of the kinds of action figures I grew up playing with were action figures. They were, like, articulated. They had accessories with them that implied a sense of adventure and happenings on a grand scale. And the Barbies I saw and, like, the, you know, a lot of the other kind of girl-oriented toys that I saw were a lot more domestic Are you trying to say a date with Ken is not a happening on a grand scale? I don't know. Again, Ken always seemed very basic to me. (gasps) Yeah. And so, like, Chris, what you were talking about, as far as wanting a narrative of some kind and wanting there to be some some depth to a character, you know, that you can weave a story out of, I didn't see much of that in the toys that I saw marketed to girls. Also, just like even the fact that Barbies were so large, they were like closer to a foot tall. Yeah, Barbies are just innately a lot bigger than all of the action figures that I grew up playing with. So like I had plenty of action figures from a lot of different franchises, you know, things that were cartoons, things that were movies and just TV shows or any of that, any combination of that. But most of those figures were in the like four to five inch range. So literally like trying to put a Barbie up next to an action figure that was like half that size made it kind of like strange to try to Mm -hmm. play collaboratively in that way with them. Yeah, you couldn't really cross pollinate. Yeah, you you couldn't cross the streams. And I know, like I remembered just like in especially seeing the action figures here in person, it came back to me the times that I know that I tried to play with friends of mine and like tried to play with Barbies and then just like not really having the commonality of like the physical objects to kind 
kind of play off each other. So yeah, it's not that I saw them as like, I would be a sissy if I played with them. I definitely got that message from a lot of people in my life. I got that message in very overt and direct statements from many people in my life, including my father. But I didn't personally like feel like I would be any less of a man or whatever if I were to play with them. I just like found that I wasn't super interested in playing with them. Becky, did you play with Barbies? I played with everything we're going to talk about today. <laughs> God, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> I just want to share like a, a memory I have that has stuck with me. I didn't usually play Barbies with friends, but occasionally there'd be a play date. And I think this happened in elementary school, more on the far end of elementary school, like or fifth, sixth grade than earlier. So we were probably a little old anyway. But I remember we, I had a play date with a boy and maybe like two other girls. And we all wanted to play Barbie. And I remember the boy who, I've looked him up on Facebook. He has a wife and kids. But at the time, everyone would be like, oh, you're gay. They would tease him for this because he was not an outwardly masculine boy. Yeah. Like he'd been getting this for years. Yeah. And I remember we were all playing with the Barbies. And then I think my mom walked by or came in just to like check on us. And I remember him putting the Barbie down and grabbing the Ken. As though like, oh my God, I'm caught playing Barbies. At least I can grab the Ken. You know, like, and that stuck with me for so long. I feel like that's so sad because you're a little boy and maybe you're not like little, little, like you're in elementary school. What are you like? Maybe 10, 11 or you're that self-conscious that you don't want people thinking of you in a certain way because you're picking up a doll. And that's also the age in your psychosexual development where you're starting to understand. Yeah. So I don't know if he's really gay and, you know, right now, but does it matter? Like, it's just like, even if he is or isn't, just at the time, I remember seeing that and catching that and finding that to be sad, that he felt so self-conscious or that the world is this way that we've told boys over and over, you cannot play with these. You you are not a man. You are not a real boy. Yeah. If, if you and I play mean, with like, these. I, I was kind of skirting around it a bit ago, but I should be clear in saying that, like, I was made to be self-conscious about every single element of my physical presentation, everything I would ever say, and especially the voice and tonality with which I would say it. I was called gay and described as a girl because of the femininity, perceived femininity of my mm -hmm. voice, since I was able to speak. So that resonates with me a lot. I don't know if that moment resonated with him, that person you're talking about, in the way that it does with both of us. But it's testament to a very powerful force that a lot of us, especially any of us who are actually queer, uh, learn very intimately from the earliest time we can remember things i would bet that it does because i had those moments too like that story was very much how i would be with you know yeah. like i felt like if i played barbies with my sister i would have to play ken or that i had to kind of make an excuse for it i could only do that like with my sister i'm not even sure i wanted like my mom or my grandparents to see that you know because i i would mm -hmm. just you're just so aware of these eyes on you that that are like constantly and I didn't really receive this message like directly I don't think from anyone in my life but just like from marketing or from being in school and like being around other boys you just get the sense that everyone is always watching you 
to like slip up and like mm-hmm. grab a Barbie, you know, and if you're caught with a Barbie once, you know, like that's it, you know, like you've sent a message to everyone. So and there's literally a psychological term for that, which is hypervigilance, which is a kind of physical and mental state that's part of a lot of things that are known as psychiatric disorders. But it's a thing that we get taught to do from a very young age when there are aspects of us that don't necessarily fit in with the broader cultural mores of society. So yeah, so let's talk about Barbie. <laughs> no, I, I won't. I won't do it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. <laughs> I can't. I get in trouble. Barbie, you're beautiful. You make me feel my Barbie doll is really real. Barbie's small and so petite. Her clothes and figure look so neat. Her dancing outfit rings the bell. At party she will cast a spell. Purses, hats, and gloves below. And all the gadgets gal the door. Barbie dressed for swim and fun is only $3. Her lovely fashions range from $1 to $5. Look for Barbie wherever dolls are sold. Someday I'm gonna be exactly like you. Till then I know just what I'll do. Barbie, beautiful Barbie. I'll make believe that I am you. You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell. Barbie is a fashion doll launched by Mattel on March 9th, 1959, the same date commonly referred to as Barbie's birthday. Barbie's full name is Barbara Millicent Roberts. Oh my God. And she's from Willows, Wisconsin. I never figured her for a Wisconsin girl. Yeah. Nice Midwestern blonde. Yeah, what kind of cheese? What's her cheese? <laughs> Gouda, I don't know. <laughs> Does Barbie not have a signature cheese? Gouda's oh. too smoky for Barbie. I think she's American cheese. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's American cheese. She is American <laughs> yeah. pasteurized processed cheese food. Yeah. Craft. Velveeta, at most. In the past 64 years, Mattel has sold over a billion Barbie dolls. Jesus fucking Christ. In 2020 alone, Mattel sold 1.35 billion worth of Barbie dolls and accessories. So it all began with a woman named Ruth Handler, the wife of Elliot Handler, the co-founder of Mattel. Ruth noticed her daughter Barbara playing with paper dolls, and uh, she noticed she was assigning them adult roles. So at the time in the 1950s, most children's toy dolls were infants and babies. Ruth thought there could be potential here, so she suggested an adult-bodied doll to her husband. He shot it down. Wise move, Elliot. (laughs) Hashtag believe women. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we're really getting it this episode. In 1956, Ruth was on a Europe trip with her daughter Barbara and her son Kenneth. They're brother and sister? Oh, my God. Oh, God. There's like a Luke Skywalker Leia thing yeah. going on here. Ew. So Ruth saw an adult-bodied doll for sale named Bild Lily based off a popular <laughs> character from a newspaper comic strip. This was Germany. Or it's a German character. Lily was an attractive blonde working girl. The doll was initially sold to adults but became popular with children based on the different outfits you could dress her in. Outfits sold separately. Ruth bought three of the dolls and brought them back to Mattel in the United States. She redesigned the doll with a local inventor designer named Jack Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) 
Is it the same Jack Ryan? Yes. Clear and present Barbie. (laughs) She named it Barbie after her daughter. The doll made its debut at the American International Toy Fair in New York City on March 9th, 1959. It wore a black and white striped swimsuit and a top-knot ponytail. It? She. Let's use the pronouns, (laughs) please. Approximately 350,000 Barbie dolls were sold during the first year of production. I would just like to tell, I would like to show you the difference. I don't know how to do this for listeners, but I'm showing my my co-host, Bill Lily and Barbie. They look identical. I mean. I like how we're discovering how many of the things that we played with growing up were stolen from other cultures. <laughs> yep. And or just very overt regurgitations of American toys that existed like a generation prior. So parents did not like Barbie's chest size. But ha- <laughs> so I bet the fathers did. <laughs> right? Be specific on parents. But Ruth Handler was adamant that Barbie have an adult woman's body. In 1971, Barbie's eyes were changed to look forward instead of the sideways glance she had originally. And this would be the last adjustment Ruth would make to her own creation as, in 1974, she and her husband Elliot were removed from their posts at Mattel after an investigation found them guilty of issuing false and misleading financial reports. They were cooking the books? (laughs) I'm picturing them on actual posts at Mattel. (laughs) I'm just saying there needs to be, like, a Barbie, like, you Again, know, Again, where's biopic. that movie? Barbie was one of the first toys to have a marketing strategy based extensively on television advertising. Barbie surprisingly did not have a Saturday morning cartoon or any kind of television iteration outside of the commercials until two TV specials in 1987. So that was, like, wow, 30 years of no TV shows with Barbie. Yeah, Barbie has a remarkably, like, small presence in most pop culture versus, like, a lot of the other things we talked about in the last episode, and then this one, it's crazy. But even just the sales figures in the first year, that's astonishing. Yeah, little girls wanted it. Yeah. So the two TV specials in 1987 were Barbie and the Rockers, Out of This World, and a sequel. Starting in 2001, Barbie starred in a series of computer animated movies, which were released on home video and broadcast on Nickelodeon. Here's a little bit about Ken. Ken's full name is Kenneth Carson. He first appeared in 1961. A news release from Mattel in February 2004 announced that Barbie and Ken had broken up. In 2011, Mattel launched a campaign for Ken to win Barbie's affections back. And the pair of these fake dolls made of plastic officially reunited on Valentine's Day of that year. Since 2018, Barbie and Ken have been depicted to be just friends or next-door neighbors. (laughs) So it's been a wild ride for these two lovers. Real on-again, off-again kind of thing. Are there other options for Barbie, or is right? it just Ken? <laughs> it's just Ken. Yeah, clearly the pond is pretty small, but are there no other fish? <laughs> so, as you can imagine, there has been some controversy with Barbie over the years. One of the leading criticisms of Barbie is that she promotes unrealistic body images for young women due to her unrealistic body proportions. It's true, women are not one foot tall. <laughs> so if Barbie was a real person, she would be five foot nine and have an 18-inch waist and 33-inch hips. According to some studies, she would lack the 17 to 22 percent body fat required for a woman to menstruate. In 1963, the outfit Barbie Babysits came with a book titled How to Lose Weight, which advised don't eat. The same book was included in another ensemble called Slumber Party in 1965. And that one came with a pink bathroom scale permanently set at 110 pounds. Let's be fair. I think all of that was part of science curriculums in America's schools at that time. (laughs) I think the Transformers came with the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) 
2016, Mattel introduced a range of new body types labeled as tall, petite, and curvy for Barbie. Honestly, when I heard about that, I wanted to go out and buy a curvy Barbie because just the fact that that would even exist made me happy as an adult who grew up with the 18-inch waist doll. But like, what even is curvy? She's just shorter and she's a little curvier. (laughs) Okay. But there wasn't like a fat Barbie. I would not call this Barbie fat. That's not to her face. That's what I was thinking. So some more controversies. In July 1992, Mattel released Teen Talk Barbie, which spoke a number of phrases. These included... I love to shop, don't you? I can't believe my ears. I can't believe my eyes. Every Teen Talk Barbie is a different surprise. Mine says... Wanna have a pizza party? Mine says... You're my best friend. Uh, And now she says... Meet me at the mall. Cool. What you gonna say next? Listen. Do you have a crush on anyone? (laughs) You won't believe your ears or eyes. Teen Talk Barbie. What a surprise. (laughs) Each Teen Talk Barbie doll says four different fun things. Barbie dolls each sold separately. I remember those. I, I think my sister had that that Barbie. Yeah, you might remember the Simpsons episode parodying all that. Another one is in November 2014, not that long ago. Mattel received criticism over the book, I Can Be a Computer Engineer, which depicted Barbie as being inept at computers and needing the help of her two male friends to, to complete all the necessary tasks to restore her laptop ac- after she accidentally infected her laptop with a computer virus. And diversity has always been kind of controversial with Barbie. The doll line was criticized in the past for its lack of diversity. The first black Barbie doll was, and I'm sorry, I have to say this, quote unquote, colored Francie. Oh. Was her name. It was released by Mattel in 1967 as one of Barbie's friends from England. It was made from the exact same mold as Barbie. It just had different skin pigmentation. Oof. The first official black Barbie was introduced in 1980. So that's still like 20 plus years after yeah. Barbie was introduced. Also, was she named official black Barbie? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, she didn't actually have any black features besides a darker skin color. But in 1990, 10 years later, Mattel created a focus group with black children and their parents, early childhood specialists, clinical psychologists. So instead of using the same molds for the white Barbies, new ones were created with different facial features, skin tones, and hair texture. They needed all that to happen to get it. Last controversy for today. May 1997, Mattel introduced Share a Smile Becky, a doll in a pink wheelchair. A 17-year-old girl with cerebral palsy pointed out to Mattel that the doll would not fit into the elevator of Barbie's dream house. So Mattel announced that it would redesign the house in the future to accommodate dolls with wheelchairs, which I thought was at least something. She has an elevator in her dream house? Yes. Oh, yes. For sure. Yeah, we're going to make it more realistic. We're going to alter the in-house elevator. (laughs) Now it's a vision that any girl can share and enjoy and relate to. Jesus. All right. So um, does Barbie hold up? (laughs) I think Barbie's so dumb. The only thing you can do is dress it up. There is no action to these figures. There's no story. Oh, I, I disagree there. They have no motivation. They have careers. Work. All they have is a job. All they have is their gig. I totally don't. It's a perfect message of capitalism's imagined role for women, which is having a job and being a good, dutiful mother and taking care of children. Those are kind of the only two, at least like overall kind of roles that I see in the Barbie universe. I know there's like Barbie scientists and I know that they've added those things to to kind of answer the charges that have come at them kind of sequentially as our broader culture develops a vocabulary about how things are presented, how people's image is presented. 
I'm mostly kidding about, like, attacking Barbie. I, I don't have <laughs> that much of a problem with it, really. Especially not compared to all the boys' toys that we talked about in our last episode. I do think it is, and always has been, very limiting about the role and vision of womanhood that it portrays. But I also think the fact that it's kind of a more blank canvas means that little girls who play with them can imagine all kinds of different things that they maybe wouldn't if it only came with, you know, one kind of accessory or only one kind of outfit. So yeah, I mean, like, I don't begrudge anyone their Barbies. Like, I get it. I get it. I never shared the appeal for myself, but yeah. I will just respond to one thing before you talk, Chris, that she is a mermaid. She's a rollerblader. There's more than just jobs. She's <laughs> that intimidating double hyphenate, the mermaid rollerblader. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will point out that one of those things is possible for women to do. <laughs> <laughs> but she's also not a mom. Yes, she is very often depicted with her younger sisters or with babies like my daughter has like pediatrician Barbie so like there's like babies or she's like babysitting but she is not a mom I think she's actually supposed to be like 16 years old which sounds weird now that I'm saying Wait, it because she's like an astronaut and stuff <laughs> So maybe that's wrong, but she's not like 30 years old. She's like young, like maybe 18 or something. But is there is there like a canonical age for Barbie? Let's, let's see how She was Barbie. originally, I think, 18 or 16, 17, something like that. But I think it probably varies by occupation. It says when Barbie was released, she was meant to be 19. That is blowing my mind in real time. I always imagined her as being like late 20s or early 30s, maybe? Well, it's because she has crazy jobs, <laughs> you know? like she's the president okay. sometimes now that you say it i do feel kind of dumb because i don't think she was depicted as a mom maybe it was just the fact that she was always surrounded by children and there were always like weren't there like baby barbie kind of things yeah it depends on the barbie like you infants? get yeah because she could be a, a baby doctor or she's babysitting or okay. she has she has three younger sisters in there, the canon. Then it always definitely came across to me generally that Barbie was nurturing toward children. Yes, that is true. But she's not married and she's not a mother. There was like pregnant Midge. And so they had to have other dolls for things that they couldn't have Barbie do. Would they ever have a Barbie that was like just casually dating around, just hooking up Barbie? Not in those nope. words. Liberate, li sexually liberated Barbie. <laughs> no. All right, I have thoughts as well, but Chris. Well, like I said, like my history with Barbie was kind of exploring a different side of toys. So like action figures, like I could play out action movies. With Barbie, I could do like a rom-com or, you know, melodrama. So it allowed me to like explore different genres of playing, which I appreciated as a kid because there weren't toys, you know, to do that as a boy. That You know, all of the toys, like we talked about last time, had something to do with like aggression and action. So I think I have like kind of an appreciation for the things you can do with Barbie. Like she is kind of a blank slate. Like she comes with these accessories, but you're not really that limited to them. Like most in my experience, like I played with like my nieces and stuff lately, or you just like make something up, you know? And it's mm -hmm. just like, it's whatever. Like it's not usually tied to whatever her actual identity is supposed to be. Like she can be in a fucking spacesuit, and you're still like, 
I'm, you know, going hiking. to the mall. Yeah. Like, and to that point, like, I've never seen a kid who had Barbies, like, separate the accessories out by, like, oh, no, this Barbie only has these accessories. Mm-hmm. Like, it's always kind of, like, cross-pollinated. And I feel like something about Barbie suggests more of an interior life than you get with, like, action figures. Like, I can just, like, you know, spend the day, you know, like, <laughs> what is what is this beautiful blonde rapper thinking? <laughs> Just having, like, Barbie listlessly staring out of a kitchen window. Just like, what have I done with my life? It Like, you get into, like, a more psychological set of play, I guess, which is an interesting alternative to, you know, just, like, blowing things up as a boy, so... That's cool that it was an entree to that for you. Yeah. Now, like, after watching approximately 6,000 Barbie commercials (laughs) in a row, I did realize that it was going to be a little hard to not be a little bit maybe sexist in this podcast or kind of demeaning toward some of these toys because it just, like the boy toys, like in aggregate, as you see, like, what is being marketed it's just the same thing over and over again. And I think Barbie did evolve from the 80s to the 90s. Like in the 90s, she felt more like a teenager. Like she was doing like cool things. In the 80s, it was some rough stuff. Yeah. Like where it's all about the makeup and the hair. There's a lot of that in the 90s too. But like at least there's a little bit more. But like there are some really like kind of cringe inducing commercials just because it's like it's so earnest and just so like in awe of her hair and her clothes not just once but like every single time. There were a lot less career oriented Barbies at least advertised than I thought there were going to be. They were almost always like hair makeup dating kind of focused. They definitely existed but I think maybe those weren't as exciting so they didn't put their commercial dollars into pilot barbie but instead like ooh, this is like the barbie with the long hair that you can do stuff with or yeah. you know there's a brand new barbie in a brand new mood she's a teenage barbie with a cool attitude barbie jeans is her name having fun is her game ooh those clothes ooh that hair she's got friends Cool. She's what's happening, and we're not just rapping. Dolls and accessories each sold separately. You put it together for having fun. She's the one, Barbie Jeans. I loved my Barbies growing up. I had many, not like in the hundreds or anything. I had maybe like. 30. I even had like a little Barbie box that I put them all in and I really played with them a lot. I think I mentioned in another podcast that I would have my Barbies have sex. <laughs> um, so I explore that through my Barbies. I think I own two Kens. Which, which Barbie? Was it Happening Hair Barbie? Or? Oh, I don't know. It was, uh, you know what my favorite Barbie was, was Midge. Pregnant Midge? Well, she wasn't pregnant. It was Wedding Not Day yet. Midge. Oh my Wedding God. day Midge. Um, <laughs> Fucking Midge. All this stuff is just happening to Midge. <laughs> <laughs> well, she got married, so then she could have a kid. I'm not even joking. Like, oh that's they had to have Wedding Day Midge in order okay. to have pregnant Midge. In order to have alimony Midge. Right. <laughs> I liked Midge because she had brown hair and I had brown hair. That's what I related to her. <laughs> She's 
just like me. Yeah, but I liked her. Like, she had, like, big dress. Her wedding dress was this big dress. And she came with a little garter. And then you would take the, the ball gown part off. And it would be, like, her, like, honeymoon outfit. And she had sex a lot. Her, her prima nocta outfit. Well, thank God she was married. Because I, I would hate to think of her having premarital sex. Living in sin. Yeah. I think that was my favorite Barbie. But I, I truly loved all of them. I remember being 9, 10 years old. And my mom was taking a trip to visit friends in California and I'm from Long Island and I was like mom you have to get me rollerblading Barbie and it's like that was available anywhere but she had to get it from California because that's where Barbie <laughs> rollerblades <laughs> why, why rollerblade Barbie and not Malibu Barbie? <laughs> because rollerblading Barbie was the new Barbie then. And I was like, that's what I want from California. Her rollerblades made like little sparks. And my mom got oh it for God. me because that's all I wanted. She could have gotten that's it sweet. in New York and not, you know, who knows, but Maybe that's what I wanted. <laughs> anyway, I loved my Barbies. I feel very nostalgic toward them. Like just seeing some of these commercials where I'm like, I had that one. I had that one. I had that one. Did you ever have the dream house? I can't remember. So probably not. Okay. I feel like I'd remember. I had a camper. I had the Barbie camper for sure. Okay. I remember the camper. And I had no. a bed. I had a Barbie bed. That's where all the sex happened. <laughs> As it would. Yeah. Never in the camper? Maybe in the camper. I don't know. Was it a pop-up camper? <laughs> I wish I still had them today. Like, who knows? Maybe they were thrown out. Because I would give them to my daughter. She, oh my God, she's four and she has, like, she's getting up there already with the amount of Barbies she has that she's just, like, acquired somehow. What I find interesting these days is that she has like three Barbies that look identical, whereas at least the Barbies I purchased look different in some way. Like maybe they had the same face, but their hair was different. Hmm. Like because she wasn't always the same blonde hair, it was like maybe it was like a different sandy shade of of blonde or maybe she like had like a, a different hairstyle in some way or... Would she ever have different like facial features? Not really, but maybe her skin might be a little bit tanner or maybe like eyeshadow would be different, but like... So you think it's even more streamlined than that now i guess so like there's more diversity for sure right and there's more variations of barbie but like she has three barbies that are just the same exact blonde barbie look i just find interesting so yeah the 80s were rough <laughs> the 90s were a little bit more like barbie's cool you know because that's what the whole like mtv like music scene was like oh yeah and i feel like the color scheme of barbie became one of the most like quintessentially both 80s and 90s, like especially 90s, though, like in terms of the like California colors, like the neons and like salmon colored and that kind of pink. Mm -hmm. My favorite from the commercials was, ooh, those clothes, ooh, that hair. She's got friends everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> did, did you like the one where she's babysitting and the baby is potty training and you can have actual pee come out of the baby? No, I didn't like that. <laughs> I thought that was disgusting. Honestly... I don't know why that became a thing, but it never stopped being a thing. Like, I still, every toy commercial I see now, I feel like has a peeing function. Really? To, yes. Well, I was watching these commercials with my daughter just to get her reaction. And I was showing that particular one to my husband and he was like, ew, gross. And I was like, honey, do you want that one? She's like, yes. <laughs> why Why is that appealing to girls? I, I don't I want it. it. I want it, mama. <laughs> That's the disconnect that I keep finding in Mommy, get me a toy that pees. <laughs> I'm not joking. She wants, like, her birthday's coming up. Get her no, uncles. No. Get, her, get her a peeing toy. Uncle Seth will not be getting your child, any of your children. None of them will get peeing toys for me. You have that promise. And that's where, like, the divide comes for me. Because, like, like I said. You don't want to see him Defecating Skeletor. No, I'm, I'm good. The great yellow divide. <laughs> 
I have no desire for that. Like I said, I enjoy, you know, like sort of, I liked playing out like more adult scenarios, not quite as adults as Becky's, <laughs> but just like, oh, like what are our problems today? We got to pay the bills. It probably wasn't that, but you know, something like that. But the way that these things were marketed, the marketing really alienated me from like the actual experience I had playing with them, which was fun, even though it was very limited because I didn't do it very often. And it was usually just like, you know, like, let's play with my sister. But the way it was marketed was so alienating to me. Like, it was definitely not for me. Like, like the way that the girls would, like, coo over everything. Like, it was honestly, it felt a little, like, condescending, especially those early ones where mm-hmm. it was just, like, not because they're playing with these things or they like these things, but there was something just so artificial about the way that you could just tell that, like, even the girls were having to fake this. Mm-hmm. And... Obviously, like, all toy commercials are fake, and and with boys it is, too, in a different way. But, like, there was just something extra kind of, like, fawning over these little, like, and materialistic, just because it's always about, like, Mm -hmm. clothes and hair and and some kind of accessory. Shoes. It just felt, like, really gross, especially watching a bunch of them. Well, I think that you were not expecting Barbie to, like, fight with her friends at, like, like He-Man fights. You know, it is very much more collaborative. We're going out to party. We're going out hiking together. We're going to swim. I don't expect that from Barbie commercials, just how I don't expect He-Man and his friends to, like, have a tea party. But I think what's really missing from these commercials is just including a boy in a girl's toy commercial or a girl in a boy's toy commercial, which would make it less just for boys. That's what I was going to ask. Like, the can of worms I have to open here is what what is, or who is Ken? What is his whole deal? Does he have a deal? What do you mean? Part of why I think I didn't ever find a foothold in the Barbie universe is because to me, there was nothing to Ken. Like, he no, there's wasn't nothing. a person. He was a cardboard cutout of a boy. He's a foil for Barbie. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Not a foil. And, He's and, just like a supporting And player. I totally felt the same way watching the commercials as you did, where it's like, and Chris, same with you, where it, like, it feels alienating because it feels like all of it is centered around being like, this is a thing for girls to enjoy. Yeah, like They have, will enjoy this, damn it. Have a boy. And I, I didn't see too many Ken commercials. Maybe there are some with boys, but I kind of doubt it. I'm sure I've seen like Ken commercials and there were variations and different boy dolls. There was cool shaven Ken, which but, was a But Ken there was commercial. no little boy playing with. Yeah. And so, like, why yeah. can't there, why couldn't there have been a girl in the Transformers commercials playing with the Transformer? Why can't there be a boy in the Barbie commercials? And, you know, sometimes they're, like, modern day, like, I looked up some commercials just because I was like, what is, what, what is it like now? And I did see one with, like, a little boy playing with a Barbie. So, yeah, you sent along some more yeah. Latter day Barbie commercials. And the first one, the first shot of a person playing with a Barbie doll, it's a boy playing with a Barbie doll. And I thought, like, okay, that's that's cool. Like they've they've figured that out now. Yeah, like <laughs> it was a very, very young boy with like a different like it was like the youngest Barbie doll. So I mean, does that still count? I mean, it counts for something, but like it counts for an something. older boy, like an ele- like a ten year old boy. I'm also not saying that was some like huge blow struck for representation or something. It was. Like, yeah. It was like, unexpected. Right. I mean, I would love to see a Barbie commercial where you know a, a big brother is playing with 
a little sister or something, and he's, like, happily into mm-hmm. it. Mattel and Barbie have also adopted the slogan, um, you can be anything. And I just really like that. It's a really big focus on, like, the empowerment of the girl, less less about advertising the hair, like, the makeup, like, that. I think that still does exist because I just have not watched too many modern-day ones. But it's nice that they do throw some in there that it's, like, it's more about how you feel when you play with Barbie. It empowers you. It makes you feel like you can do anything. I'm of multiple minds about all things like that. Because on one hand, it is very clearly a capitalist cash grab. Um, Adopting the terminology of a more open-minded and progressive culture while still largely, like, slotting women into, you know, like, the careerist path or the motherly path or you know like but also you can't deny that like you see kids like playing with these things now and they get to play with toys that look more like them or are more relatable to them and that's a positive thing to me so yeah i always feel multiple ways about it and you sent that another of the later commercials you sent along was little girls taking on adults kind of roles and jobs Mm -hmm. and that i thought was like super cute that commercial absolutely got me yeah that slogan i mean it's very similar to the one in the early 80s commercials we -hmm. girls can do anything which feels kind of like a little condescending now Mm -hmm. just because it's like it's so gendered and just well, and like, the other the other phrase from the commercials that was like a doll can help change the world that was a bit silly too <laughs> <laughs> like and just like in at least those early ones it was like we can do anything but then the commercials were only showing them going on dates or mm-hmm. you know babysitting right. like it wasn't actually in service of them doing very much yeah and i don't want to be too cynical about it but it is like if you're a beautiful blonde <laughs> then yes you can <laughs> right. do anything but yeah um, there's still a way to go if you really want to like be inclusive of everyone and really be progressive i think there's but, no uggo barbie <laughs> right there's no fat barbie like honestly i'm i'm on this i'm all aboard this train now fat barbie so let's move on to non-barbie uh gem in the holograms She's Jam, the most glamorous rock star ever. She's also Jerrica, the president of Starlight Music. But only her friends, the holograms, Kimber, Aja, and Shayna, know that Jerrica's also Jim. The club is so sharp. Her gym star earrings are the ultimate. Your music is totally awesome. Jim comes with Jim and Jerrica outfits. Kimber, Aja, and Shayna sold separately with cassettes from Hasbro. Gem in the Holograms, the series, ran from 1985 to 1988 for 65 episodes. The series follows Jerrica Benton, the owner and manager of Starlight Music. Jerrica adopts the persona of rocker girl Gem with the help of a holographic computer known as Synergy, which was built by Jerrica's father to be the ultimate audiovisual entertainment synthesizer and is left to her after his death. Have you gotten all that? Is that enough plot? (laughs) Do you need more? That's not (laughs) something I got from any of this that we watched. It's clear to me. Gem dolls were released in 1985 as a response to the rise of music videos and MTV. That's why she's a rocker. I'll just start. Like, I played with I played with Gem. Like, she had a whole rock stage. And I definitely had Gem. I probably had her friends, too. And I remember, like, the guitar you could sling around her. That was, like, a hot pink guitar. Yeah, I think they all had guitars. Or they all had instruments that were very flat. 
but they were like pictures of the instrument. Can we just acknowledge that this is like an insane Coke fantasy? <laughs> yeah, also that. Like, holy shit. Couldn't they just be a band? <laughs> Why do we need all this other stuff? Why does she have to have a split personality? <laughs> Just just say, hey, I wear a wig on stage and I take it off when I'm not on stage. And like, the idea of like specifically inheriting that like supercomputer thing after her father's death, like that is very dark. Yeah. I remember that Jem had flat feet. <laughs> what? Because Barbie does not. Well, some Barbies today have flat feet. Oh, you're saying the action figure character itself had like, I thought you were saying the character... No, like the doll. ...had anatomically flat feet. <laughs> the doll. The because condition. if you look at Barbie's feet, they're all, like, ready for high heels. <laughs> but uh, Jem had flat feet. Did she from, have bunions? And she had bigger feet. Like, her... She was... <laughs> bunions. She's dancing on stage all night. She was bigger than Barbie. Like, wider. So I couldn't really have Barbie and Jem play together because Jem looked like a giant. <laughs> That's, like, how I felt about Barbie and my action figures. Yeah. Yeah, and so they looked odd next to each other. But I'm sure that's because the gem people didn't want to make an exact carbon copy. They, like, had to license the doll, manufacture it in a different way. Were you guys even familiar with gem? So I only knew gem and the holograms. I think, like, starting when I was a teenager and later from people referring to it. It was already kind of like a pop culture reference by that time. I don't think I had any friends who were into Jim and the Holograms. I certainly never played with any of the action figures or toys of any kind. Like, I, I saw maybe one or two clips of it before the stuff that I watched in advance of this. And, like, now I feel like I have to watch more of it because <laughs> it is a cocaine fantasia. Yeah. Yeah. If He-Man is acid, this is Oh, cocaine. my God. This is... Co <laughs> yeah. If He-Man is acid, this is coke. And, and like, my God, the, the cartoon intro is deranged. <laughs> they... The singers don't even stay on beat in the theme song. No, they don't. We are the Mitzvits. Our songs are better. I love that that's their song. It's just like, our songs are better. Like, oh, our songs are bitter. Bitter? I think they're saying bitter. Ooh, I think better. Can we check the lyrics, please? Okay. Fact Jen check department. Fact hologram. check department. Lyrics. We're calling in our huge team of fact checkers who we keep on retainer. Bitter. Oh, I always thought it was better. I always thought it was better until I just looked it up. Bitter. Anyway, Chris, what do you think? I'm just going to come out and say it. To me, gem is excitement. <laughs> oh, no. And always was. I was really into gem. As a kid, it was on in the same block of shows that Transformers was. Oh, okay. Okay. And I had a very deep conflict, like I've been saying with a lot of this stuff, of knowing that Gem was not for me, but being drawn toward it. Like, for the same reason I was drawn, you know, to maybe play with Barbies. It was just like another facet. It was like a very different show than Transformers. You know, I liked the action show and I liked all that, but I also liked, you know, backstage melodrama and... <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, in and of itself, like a cartoon television series about a music band is such a crazy concept for me, uh, much less one pitched at kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some of the songs aren't bad. A lot of them are not great, but some of them are actually like very catchy. You know, it's all cheesy, of course, but they always have like a music video in the episode, too. That's mm -hmm. like probably not that much worse than an actual music video in 1987. Also, you were questioning, you know, the whole secret identity thing. But to me, I think that's what appealed 
to me about this is it was like Alex Mack, like an early <laughs> precursor to Buffy, where it's like someone has a secret identity and they can't let Hannah anyone Montana. know. Hannah Montana. Yeah, well, I didn't watch that. Uh, sure. I was much too old for that one. But yeah. We've seen the posters on your walls. Best of both worlds. That's supposed to be a secret. <laughs> but yeah, I, something about the fantasy of like appearing ordinary, but then like secretly I'm out there making entertainment. Like that was that mm-hmm. was a fun fantasy for me, like as a kid. But even at the age of four, I think I was because I, I know I was always watching these shows before we moved out of like the first house that I grew up in. And that was when I was five. So I was like, yeah, like very, very young watching these shows. But I still felt a deep shame of like not wanting anyone to know that I was watching Jem, a show about a pink woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If she had been a different color, I think it would have been easier to get away with. But because she was so pink, it was just so obvious that she was not like this was not a boy show. And I don't think I ever like mentioned Jem to anyone. Maybe my mom knew I liked it or something, but like it wasn't something I shared with other people. Um, my sister was would have been a baby at this time, so she didn't have like gem toys for me to like, mm-hmm. you know, latch onto. So I never played with a gem toy. So it's like this show is like both like something that I was like really into, maybe even more than some of the other like the boy shows, at least like in terms of my enjoyment of the actual series, but also sort of like this missed opportunity because I never could share the excitement Hmm. of Jem with anyone or like I never got to play with the toys because I could never ask for these toys, you know, Hmm. because it would have been weird. So bittersweet, bittersweet. It's all coming out right here on this podcast. You're getting you're getting all the Jem juice. It's just like all it takes is just put a boy in these commercials so that a, a boy watching could be like, well, it's okay, you know, to ask for these things and to want these things. Well, she is able to be truly outrageous. <laughs> I relate to that as a young youth. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I do think that shows can appeal to anyone, you know. Maybe not as many girls are going to love Transformers as are going to love Gem, but in general, kids will watch a lot of stuff, you know, and it's not necessarily always the thing that they're supposed to be watching, you know, like they're just, you know, they're into a cartoon and it's like, it doesn't have to be a great cartoon. Kids just kind of gravitate toward things. And like what Becky's saying, like it really was, I think the marketing maybe of these things that really solidified like that this is for this person and this is for that person. That was exactly like the thought that was coming up for me is like, it it all goes back to the marketing and the economic dictates of trying to get the largest possible audience up front immediately as soon as possible that you can, because that's what then gets you the capital interest to be able to make even more toy lines or even more movies or even more merchandise down the line. All right, guys, let's move on to Cabbage Patch Kids. Must we? Good parents for Cabbage Patch Kids. The Cabbage Patch Kids. Each doll is different, and you can pretend to adopt them. My baby has a real diaper. You can love and care for them, like your very own. You're a pal. You're the only one. I love you. They're each one of a kind. They're Cabbage Patch Kids. You can give them all your love. Cabbage Patch Kids are each sold separately. Each doll comes with a pretend birth certificate and adoption papers from Coleco. Cabbage Patch dolls were, or kids? Dolls? Kids? Kids. Cabbage Patch Kids were first released in 1982 by Colco Industries. The doll brand set every toy industry sales record for three years running and was one of the most popular lines of children's licensed products in the 1980s. 
1976, Xavier Roberts, a 21-year-old art student at a missionary school in Georgia, attended a craft fair. He came upon doll babies made by a local craft artist, Martha Nelson. Each doll baby was made by hand and came with a birth certificate and adoption papers. Roberts took the design, modified it, included the birth certificate and adoption papers, so he stole it. Hey, yeah, how much did he modify it? Right. And he began trying to sell it under the name The Little People and then Cabbage Patch Kids. Here are the original dolls. Viewer, uh, listeners, viewers. Ugh. They are not pleasant to look at. I hate them almost as much as I hate the later Cabbage Patch dolls. Yeah, they're not pleasant to look at. And if you think a Cabbage Patch doll isn't pleasant to look at, yeah, it could get yeah, worse. These are like, these originals look like Cabbage Patch dolls, but almost a little bit cubist. Yes. They look like cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're not cute. They're kind of horrifying. So Xavier brought on board a designer and licensing agent, Roger L. Schlafer, whose initial goal was to build the first and largest mass market children's brand in history. He wrote the dolls a backstory called The Legend of the Cabbage Kids. Jesus. God. And now here I am quoting directly from Wikipedia. Quoting from the book. <laughs> From the good book of Cabbage Patch, chapter 12, verse 3. Via Wikipedia. <laughs> to make sense of how special cabbages gave birth to cabbage kids, Schleifer invented bunny bees, the bee-like creatures that use their rabbit ears to fly about and pollinate cabbages with magical crystals. Since Roberts insisted on being a character in the story, Schleifer created him as a curious 10-year-old boy who discovered the Cabbage Kids by following a bunny bee behind a waterfall into a magical <laughs> cabbage patch. What is happening? Where he found the Cabbage Patch babies being born in a neglected garden to save them from being abducted to work in the gold mines. <laughs> Operated by the villainous Lavender McDade and her two... <laughs> Isn't she like a Republican senator from And her two Florida? cohorts in crime, Cabbage Jack and Bo Weasel, young Roberts tried to save them by finding loving parents who would adopt them and keep them safe in their homes. That went so much deeper <laughs> as lore for the Cabbage Patch Kids than I expected it to go. I knew about the cabbage. I knew they were born in cabbage. I knew they were kids. <laughs> Babies, really. That was about the extent of what I got from that product. It sounds like a five-year-old who was told the birds and bees talk and then got it very wrong when they were, like, retelling so it So there's back. a neglected yes. garden and there's a cabbage <laughs> and a magical crystal of the bee. Your daughter will tell you that story next oh, yeah. year. <laughs> Xavier Roberts eventually sold his dolls to Colco Industries. Nelson, the original creator of the first pair of disgusting dolls, <laughs> she sought one million in damages from Roberts. In 1984, the case was settled out of court for an undisclosed amount. Cabbage Patch Kids had become so popular that buyers had to join a nine-month waiting list, and each doll sold between $30 and $150. This was in the 80s. Wow. The early 80s. Do you Like, even $30 back then was a That's lot. That's a lot. So, Cole Cole Industries canceled all of its advertising as they tried to keep up with demand, shipping a doll industry record 3.2 million dolls. Sales of dolls in 1984, along with the merchandise, generated 2 billion in retail sales across North America and pretty much every country. Um, Cabbage Patch riots occurred as parents literally fought to obtain the dolls for their children. Were any children trampled to death? I don't know, parents probably. Irony. Did you know that at all? Because I, I remember... I did not Cabbage know that. Patch dolls being a huge, like, I need to get it. I need I to get it. I remember them being like a craze, but I don't remember hearing about tramplings. I don't remember that because to me, they were always that ugly doll, like in the corner that no one wanted to play with. 
So the licensing rights for Cabbage Patch Kids um, went from Colco to Hasbro to Mattel to Toys R Us and many more after that. So I'm not 100% sure why, but they just kept jumping from company to company. It's those adoption papers. Yeah. Everyone just kept signing them. <laughs> more like a hot potato than a cabbage. <laughs> <laughs> They took to TV eventually. The Cabbage Kids' first Christmas premiered on ABC on December 7th, 1984. It was the top-rated show in its time slot. And then there was a whole bunch more between the years 1995 and 1999. 1999 feels late. Was it CGI by then? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. But um, there was a cartoon. um, And I sent you guys some clips. And it's just kind of like hideous. It's hideous. I had no idea there was even a cartoon. No one I know watched any of that. I think I did, but I'm not 100% sure. No one my age, I was thinking back about it, and, like, I would see Cabbage Patch Kids. I would especially see a lot of references to Cabbage Patch Kids, like, in pop culture. Um, Like, the Garbage Pail Kids was a thing, like, with, like, Mad Magazine and stuff like that. So, like... Looking up parody stuff, I would see him there. But I didn't know any kids my age who had Cabbage Patch Kids. It would be like a thing that, like, your mom or, like, your older relatives would have. They do kind of seem like they are more for parents than kids. Like, even the marketing, like, it's always for kids. But the parents are always very interested in the Cabbage Patch (laughs) Kids in the commercials. And it seems very, Mm -hmm. like, precious moments-y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're very innocent because I think they're supposed to... I know the, the cartoon is centered around them being actual kids, but I think they're supposed to be, like, babies. I say that, and yet it's not like they're all bald. Like, they have long hair, like some of them. So maybe they are kids. Again, it's crazy that you read that litany of specifics about <laughs> the lore of these. Because, again, none of it makes sense to me in any kind of linear fashion. And the the fact that they many of them do very clearly have a lot of hair, very much made no sense to me. (laughs) So I watched these commercials with my daughter and I went through Barbie first. I want that, mommy. I want that one. I want that one. Sorry, honey, that's not being made anymore, that one. (laughs) My Little Pony, which we'll get to next. I want that one. I want that one, mama. And then we got to Cabbage Patch Kids and her reply was, ugh. (laughs) (laughs) Can you please get a recording of her... Making that expression so we can cut it in. And I was like, do you want that one? No. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. (laughs) Well, yeah, I remember being a kid her age, too, and also being, like, yucked out by them. (laughs) We don't want to yuck anyone's yum, but we do want to yuck this. Cabbage isn't a yum. I love cabbage. This even sullies the good name of cabbage to me. So, like, as far as, like, the marketing tour, I mean, it's just, it's like a, it's like a baby doll, you know? That's but what it feels like. But it's weirder than a baby doll, because I watch even more of the commercials. <laughs> I'm sorry. It took a deeper dive down the rabbit hole. Which went into weird places where there were, like, ones from different countries that then had to have passports that also <laughs> came no. with them. Is that the whole thing of the dolls? Is that, like, they come with papers? Yeah. Was there, like, like, international customs involved? Oh and that's God. the weird thing about the dolls is that they were always coming up with these new things that were like making them realistic but they were just like inconveniences like they're not (laughs) actually like things that i would think a child would want to play with but it's just like like what child gives a shit about papers like adoption papers that just seems more like a collector or like a parent thing 
the commercials were, it's really hard to describe what the tone of them is, but like the parents and the grandparents and some of them are just like too interested in the dolls. Like it's yeah. creepy. They're always treating them like they're real. Yeah. And it's not in a fun, like, oh, we know they're not real. It, it's kind of crossing a line into like an uncanny valley where it's like mm-hmm. everyone's like unaware that the doll is not real. Tammy, this is your responsibility now. <laughs> if you don't feed the baby every two hours, it'll die and you'll have that on your hands forever yeah the commercials were strange the cartoon was inscrutable to me i (laughs) could not understand it couldn't make heads or tails of it what is yeah why were they so popular it doesn't make any sense to me they're ugly. I think it, <laughs> honestly, saying. thinking about it now, I think maybe the ugliness is part of the what charm? sold them. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, Chris, to what you were talking about, the creation of accountant cabbage patch kids or whatever, that's how capitalism like innovates until it completely runs out of steam. But you have to keep making more new kinds of the thing so that you can keep trying to convince people to buy new versions of it. Well, and then there's like the obsession with orphans, which is weird. <laughs> And it's a thing that, like, you see in, like, all kinds of, like, Disney, you know, we've talked about. That's true. That's true. There's this, like, fetishization of, like, finding them a family that seems a little bit, like, not benign, but, like, creepy. Mm -hmm. There's, I don't know why that's creepy, because it should be a nice thing, but just, like, I watched some of the cartoon, too, and it was all about finding someone a family. Okay, here's my new conspiracy theory, is that this was actually a secret plot to, like, juice the population numbers and get more people to reproduce and have babies. It's the older generations training you to want the baby. But it's turning me off from the idea of ever having a child or interacting with anyone else's children. They're so ugly. Okay, let's move on because I can't handle them. (laughs) Something cuter, please. My Little Pony. The wonderful world of My Little Pony. Have you visited the world of My Little Pony lately? We've got so soft ponies you can nuzzle up to. Lovely twinkle-eyed ponies, flutter ponies with beautiful wings, and baby ponies with Betty by eyes. They love the baby bonnet school of dance. And look, Paradise has saved the little pony's new home. The wonderful world of My Little Pony. It's like a dream come true, and they're each sold separately from Hasbro. My Pretty Pony was a toy line released in 1981 by Hasbro. My Pretty Pony is a 10-inch tall, hard plastic figurine that can wiggle its ears, switch its tail, and wink one eye. But it was not successful. And so after uh, that line, Hasbro introduced six smaller and colorful versions of the toy in 1982, sold under the title My Little Pony. These ponies were colorful with real synthetic hair and tails you could brush. And each one came with a mark on its hindquarters called a cutie mark. You guys familiar with My Little Pony? (laughs) Yes. The phrase cutie mark has been uttered by my nieces. Oh, no. They're fans of the current show. Yes. I'm still stuck on real synthetic hair, but move on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it wasn't like plastic hair. I get get what it means. Yeah. But it's a jumbo shrimp situation. I know. The first series, My Little Pony, ran in syndication for two seasons and 65 episodes from 1986 to 1987. It was followed by My Little Pony Tales in 1992 and My Little Pony Friendship is Magic from 2011 to 2019. So My Little Pony, as you can see, is still around today. My daughter's obsessed with the, you know, the CGI computer animated movies that are like musicals and have like famous people's voices. And 
She likes the 2D animation show Friendship is Magic, or there might be even more than that, but she really loves the computer animated movie. So I've seen that a thousand times at this point. So it's very, it's very much still in pop culture. Like bronies became a thing that you may have heard of. Adult men or or maybe like young adult men. No, it's they're <laughs> they're very adult men. <laughs> For, I don't I still don't understand that. So what did you guys think of how that was marketed and what did you think of My Little Pony? I'll just say I never played with My Little Pony. The moment I became aware of them and saw them often enough to develop an opinion on them, I was like, these are toys for babies. Wow. And I just was not interested in it. It was like the like colors and stuff were kind of obnoxious to me. Reminded me almost like Lisa Frank kind of style. Yeah, it was just not interesting to me at all. I definitely had a few My Little Ponies hanging around when I was a kid. They were probably my sister's, but, you know, there, there wasn't a clearly defined ownership of the pony. Ponership. <laughs> You know, they were something kind of there to play with a little bit, but they weren't something I was really into. I mean, I kind of grouped them together with Rainbow Bright and Strawberry Shortcake and a little bit with Care Bears. And there's all these like animals slash people with rainbows and like cute symbols on them. And sometimes they smell like things. (laughs) I remember those. (laughs) I had those. Which maybe taken more like together than just individually is just like... There was a weird sense that these animals are like people reflecting moods in in the 80s, like and reflecting like the Care Bears all had their different, you know, moods. Um, Rainbow Bright was all about spreading cheer. I think the little ponies, they all had they had different names. I don't know. Did they have different like powers or like things? Probably like some were Pegasus's Pegasi. Some more unicorns. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like just compared to like Transformers or He-Man or something. Those shows had like very like distinct mythologies, whether or not they were like great or not, whatever. But like these just felt like so like low stakes and low conflict and that they had to kind of force these like there was always like this weird, like ugly old person who was mean for no reason. That's Mm -hmm. right. That's right. Usually followed by like a storm cloud or something. And just like with these like nasty little minions, but like they just kind of felt thrown in there just to do something. Just to have a Gargamel. Yeah. (laughs) Like like all of these properties kind of felt like they didn't have a story and that they were even more so than like Transformers or He-Man that they were just literally like selling these toys and that they couldn't even really be bothered to come up with like a good story or narrative. And, you know, maybe that's my bias as not being a girl that I wasn't as into these things as I was into the boy things. But yeah, I didn't really see the appeal. They were just kind of like annoying jingles, like this one in particular, like really gets stuck in your head. <laughs> yeah, like looking back at it now, it's it's kind of like with the Barbie stuff, but it feels even more force of just like girls cooing over these things that aren't really all that exciting, at least to me. I loved my ponies. I had so many of them, so many, <laughs> way more than Barbies even. And I had like a big castle. I saw the commercial for the castle and just like that hit me hard that I'm like, oh my God, my castle. Like I just remember these play sets so well. Did the ponies live inside the castle? Yeah, or they just played there. Or there I also had like a like a, a farmhouse thing. Were there humans in this world? No, there's a there's a dragon, just one though. Wait, you said there's a farm? <laughs> or like it was like some sort of I think I'm meadow. I'm not, I'm not really remembering. Like, did the ponies stay in a barn? I'm not sure. 
Why do they hew to human structures and social I'm models? I'm not sure about the barn. It was a barn-ish kind of thing. You've got me asking all kinds of questions. I think that, and this might have been when I was younger. I wasn't, I wasn't like 12 years old playing with My Little Ponies. But I think they were cute. It was a collector thing. Like, I got to get them all. And I think they're very gentle toys for younger girls. It is just about being in harmony and, and playing. And they, they all have very, like, pleasant expressions. Like, you're not supposed to, like, have them bang, bang each other. <laughs> no, that's safe for Barbies. Right, yeah. I'm amazed you didn't have them bang each other. Like, given what you did right. with your other toys. Well, it's for, I think it's it's more for, like, preschoolers. It's, like, a very easy, beautiful it's toy like an for entry preschoolers. It's like toy. Like, a preschoolers where you can brush their hair and they have pretty manes and they have tails that are pretty. It's definitely, like, a first toy. For it's like so when you're in boring. that, it's and so that, boring. That's where like this gender question comes in. Like, is the like desire for some kind of violence like inherent to me because I'm a boy? Because I hear you, and I'm like, that does not sound like anything I could play with. Like, I can't play ponies in harmony. I don't know how. I need <laughs> I the ponies to be in conflict. I don't think it's gendered so much as it is, Chris. The specific things that you've talked about before of like. Wanting them to be active in some way and wanting there to be some kind of actual narrative. And I don't think that that's your preference because of your gender, because I think gender is a completely social construct that exists entirely outside of who any of us actually are. But like the things that you're talking about are the things that interest you, the things that get you interested in something. And, you know, like we have those differences between different people in a way that has nothing to do with gender really maybe but also like becky said she was interested in that and i said i wasn't and maybe that's not just totally inherent but like also because marketing was telling us was sending me a signal that i should like conflict and sending becky a signal that she should like harmony yeah like it wasn't just me watching the tv shows and the commercials but like i'm sure i would get them as gifts because adults are watching all this too and being like, oh, my niece's birthday, I'm going to get her this toy that's meant for girls. So like you're just getting it at every angle and being like, well, I guess this is what I yeah. play with. You know, like if so, if I just kept getting Transformers in my life, like maybe I would have been more into that. I am not a brony and I don't claim to speak for them, but I think in some part that kind of phenomenon comes, Chris, from exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, and what both of you are talking about just in the ways that boys get messaged from such a young age that they're not supposed to play with or enjoy toys like these and they discover at a certain age or they know from a very young age that they definitely enjoy playing with those things but they only feel free enough to be able to do it as adults i mean i think we're kind of circling on how powerful the marketing of it was in like shaping our perceptions of the toys mm -hmm. and also to a large extent like dictating whether or not we would play with those toys and yeah, like at the end of it, I don't know how much the marketing dissuaded me from enjoying them or if I would have enjoyed them otherwise. And there's really no way to know. Yeah, I mean, I definitely know that the marketing stopped me from being as into Gem specifically as I would have been. Yeah. But like a lot of these other toys don't really appeal to me very much. Yeah. And I think it is a, like mostly about the narrative is like all the all the shows that I was into had a like, pretty clear storyline and like a real kind of central conflict. Like a lot of them were about transformation, whether it's a <laughs> regular girl slash music executive who turns 
turns into a rock star or a car that transforms into a robot. But yeah, that idea of becoming something else, I guess, always appealed to me. Whereas a lot of the other shows like just were really low on conflict. Yeah. And I mean, aside from being like low on conflict, to me, a lot of them were very like Teletubbies, <laughs> like Care Bears, like My Little Pony, very homogenous as like ideas where there were never anything approaching characters that would have their own actually different personalities and distinct personalities, much less truly distinct appearances. You know, like in, in the same way that to me, all the kind of He-Man characters all ran together as just crazy steroidal <laughs> brawny men. So yeah, at the same time that I don't know to what extent the kind of marketing for these dissuaded me from enjoying these, I wouldn't have enjoyed most of the girl toys. Yeah, and there was just something about a lot of the girl commercials that felt like they were really pushing conformity and a really, really specific idea of what girls can do, which kind of more implied what girls can't or shouldn't do. Just like so many things about taking care of dolls or taking care of your appearance. And the boy stuff was all about aggression and rebellion. And it's it just, it's such an interesting contrast to see how much boys were pushed to like push boundaries and not obey and act out and act wild. And it's so the opposite for girls. Like there's just never any sense of even the slightest misbehavior from a girl. It's always about like being perfect and being beautiful and it's also making it so that like to be a nurturing person you have to follow those rules and follow the norms and you know get a professional white collar job and like all of that stuff and it's like coupling those things together in a way that i think is very limiting for women and i also found that the girls products often seem to be preparing them for something like preparing them for life or sort of like a rehearsal for something that they would be doing later in life whereas the boy toys often just seem like escapism like it was more yeah. just for fun whereas like the girls things seems kind of instructional in a weird way yeah, it's a lot of the girl toys felt like almost a kind of extension of home ec yeah. to me <laughs> in a way that was kind of depressing. And again, I only saw it that way because of how much of that stuff we saw from so many different kinds of franchises over such a long period of time. Yeah, I think that this isn't really what our plan was with this episode. I mean, we were talking about <laughs> toys, but we couldn't not talk about the marketing because that's how we experienced so much of these things, especially the ones we didn't play with as much as we definitely saw the commercials. And what we kind of found was that commercials for kids are basically like if you want to study like what a society's gender ideas are for kids, that is where to go is like it's all like really, really strongly like embedded in this marketing. It's and not it's, subtle. <laughs> it's just so clear what was expected of a boy and a girl at this time. And like we've been discussing, it was very clear that those were supposed to be very different things and that there was not ever really supposed to be any overlap between what a boy and what a girl would be interested in. And no crossover and no deviation and no no yeah. real diversity. Even if there was kind of like surface level diversity in some ways. And in that sense, like, I really do wonder how much has actually changed as opposed to 
just what's different now is just the marketing. Yeah, I, I think it's really harmful that the that there were such barriers where it was like it felt so forbidden to even just like try out a doll and see if, if you liked it. You know, you might not like it or you might. And that, you know, but just like the fact that like you even tried it would be such a taboo was really like damaging. And just, you know, I still remember the feeling of like shame of like, oh, my God, I shouldn't be touching this 12 inch plastic thing with hair because it's not for me. I'm not being told that my gender is supposed to play with this. At least some of those barriers are going away in a lot of people's minds. Obviously not everybody's, and there's also a huge backlash to that right now, but at least the conversation is being had that these walls aren't something that we can't cross sometimes and explore and let kids explore what they're really interested in and then figure out for themselves like what they actually want. Yeah, the walls aren't nearly so firm anymore. And I think the backlash is in the recognition that that's the case for most people. Like that kind of rigidity around it just really is no longer in fashion anymore. And that's all the life in plastic we have time for on this episode of When We Were Young. In our next episodes... We'll be exploring the meteoric rise and the very different careers of three popular comedic performers on Saturday Night Live who became massive breakout movie stars in the 1990s. Mike Myers, Chris Farley, and Adam Sandler. The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. If you've enjoyed this, subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your podcast product. You can find us on all the social medias, and you can contribute to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash young, so we can bring you more free episodes of this series. I've been Seth. And, and we're, we're into Barbie! Barbie. I'm not